let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. We thank you for each one that was able to brave the elements and the traffic and the weather and all of the obstacles that lie in our way to distract us from your word. Lord, we ask that you would help us to lay those things down and for the next few moments be encouraged and strengthened by your word. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you need an outline, wave your hand there and maybe Philip or Andrew could get you one. We're back in the book of Second Thessalonians and... Every time I think, well, maybe we can finish this tonight. There's so many things here, uh, but we will uh, go as far as we can. Really just want to pick up here in uh, uh, verse 11, and uh, it, it tells us here about the mystery of iniquity. We, we covered the main part of that. The, the Bible says that uh, once the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way, verse 7, he that letteth will let or will stop the work of iniquity until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. And if you're familiar at all with the wording in Revelation chapter 19, uh, the Antichrist, the beast, is destroyed by the sword that goes out of his mouth. Uh, it's going to be a wonderful thing to uh, uh, for the saved to fight in the armies of Jesus Christ. You see... Uh, most military men, when they go into the service, when they are in combat, there is only one major drawback. As you are going out to uh, destroy the enemy, there's a good possibility that someone could get you. And uh, I, I know in the movies it's all on uh, uh, super... Uh, what is it, uh, reflexes, and actually it's based on the script writers because in real battle, uh, there is no respect of persons. There is none of this uh, foolishness. You're, uh, you're not going to be saved by uh, dodging a bullet. You're not going to do that. If you're saved by anything, it's going to be following your training and the things that you have done and and the procedures and if you like those things, there's an uh, excellent book, uh, A Man Who Was in Korea and Vietnam. His, uh, the name of the book is just Sergeant Major. And uh, he was not a saved man, but uh, he was one who served his country well. And, and he talked about the protection that was there even in Vietnam because of his training and obedience uh, to uh, the, the direction and the and the things that he was commanded. And I will tell you this. Here's the big difference. When you serve in the army of the Lord Jesus Christ, who does all the fighting? The Lord Jesus Christ does. You see, to serve in his army is a wonderful thing because he protects us. At the same time, he defeats the enemy. Only Jesus could do that. Only God has that power. And 
And we thank Him for it. And please do not forget to pray for our men and women who are in the armed services. We just had several killed this week uh, in a training uh, exercise off the coast of Japan. And um, so uh, there's, there's things that just need to be said there, but uh, we need to move on with our, 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 our lesson here. The, the work of the Holy Spirit of God is holding back uh, and resisting the forces of the devil. And, and you wonder why things are so different. In fact, we in America are often accused of living in a fantasy land because our biggest concern is making enough money or having enough credit to buy Christmas presents right now and to take care of this. And those are really big concerns. You know, in the rest of the world, a, a really big concern is being able to walk home from work and not get mutilated or killed or by evil people and bands of men just roaming around and trying to wreak havoc. Uh, we, we here in America live a very sheltered life, and, and we need to be thankful. And one of the reasons we do is because of the influence of this book, and the people of God in this nation. And that's why we need to be faithful and, and, and keep on these things. But we uh, really stopped in verse 11 here. And uh, uh, we're going to go back and pick up the context here. It says, even him, verse 9, even him who's coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie and that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, if as we are looking at these verses, we're putting this in the context. Someone had written a letter to the Thessalonican church. Between Paul's first letter and the second letter, they signed Paul's name. They said this is from the Apostle Paul and had told them that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was all I mean, the coming of Jesus had already passed, and they missed it. And uh, and they were uh, distraught over this, and so Paul immediately pens this second letter to them, affirming that this fraudulent letter was simply that. It was a forgery. It was someone trying to supplant uh, their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is explaining that, when the Holy Spirit is taken out, when the church is removed from this earth, then the Antichrist is going to be revealed. And see, we have a lot of people, someone uh, visiting our services 
actually questioned, said, why do you name the names of some of these preachers and, and, and things like this? That's not your job. Yes, it is my job. We had a, uh, if I can, uh, John just brought a book. He said, Pastor, what do you think about this book? And I, I looked at it and I said, uh, well, uh, I don't know what the restored church of Jesus is, but that's not a good start. And then I opened it up and I saw the name Herbert W. Armstrong. I said, oh, okay, our old friend. Uh, no, he's no friend here. Uh, he, he is one of the most spiritually perverse men in American history. He used to start his television show. He had a radio church. Uh, and then he had a television church, and he would sit in an office chair and pick up a phone and go, Hello, God. And uh, I will tell you, if you can get a hold of your God on the telephone, he's not the one that's in this book called the Bible. Amen? And, and we want to warn people because Herbert W. Armstrong, uh, I, I know that we've had 15 or 20 people over the years come through our doors that were infected with this uh, false doctrine and as would try to say, here is what the Bible teaches. Oh, no, Mr. Armstrong tells us this. Well, if you want to follow Mr. Armstrong, you just go do that. But you're going to do it out there, not in here. And you don't have to be... Um, uh, uh, let me start that sentence over again. Uh, you can be deceived like by people like Mr. Armstrong. I will tell you some of the uh, best preachers I have known over the years. One of the reasons I constantly mes- mention the Purpose Driven Life and the Purpose Driven Church books by Rick Warren is because... Good men and good churches have been subverted and destroyed by what is in these books. That's why I don't read them. If it did that much damage, I'll tell you what, it it can hurt me. It can hurt you. And, And I recommend that you do not even pick the books up. You do not read them. Spend your time, uh, in uh, the Bible, the Bi- it, it tells us here that the Antichrist is going to come with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. The arrogance of people who have refused the truth of Jesus Christ is unbelievable, is it not? If you pass out tracts, I'm okay, I don't need that. Really, you don't look very okay to me. You, you look rather upset. Why, if you have the truth, why would you be upset by someone giving you the truth? You know, in 26 years of living in New York City, 27 years of living in New York City, I, I cannot remember one time when I received a good gospel tract from someone. Now, that's tragic, is it not? When I was in Springfield, Missouri, going to Bible college, I counted 23 church buses 
that we cross paths with on the way to church Sunday morning, and 21 of them were independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist churches like the one I was representing. I'll tell you what, there's a difference. And yet what we've got to understand here is The power of the devil and the Antichrist. Daniel chapter 7 verses 21, verse 21 says that he will prevail against the saints of God. Uh, Verse 25 says that he will wear them out. Now, we look at this, and I mentioned this very briefly last time, that this would be a direct contradiction of the teachings of Jesus Christ in Matthew 16 where he said the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church if the church were present at the same time the Antichrist is present. But if we believe in a pre-tribulational rapture of the church, then the scripture is in perfect agreement with itself. And so this is just one of the reasons we do this. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 24 Jesus said, if it were possible, the Antichrist would deceive the very elect. Now, why is it impossible? Number one, if you have the Spirit of Jesus living in you, you cannot be deceived by the devil. Number two, the vast majority of the people who believe in Jesus Christ have to be removed from this earth. The church is gone before the Antichrist shows up. So it's going to be a little more difficult for him to do that. But here is what we need to understand. If you're one of those people that says, I'm just going to wait on getting saved until I'm ready, I want to challenge you. If the rapture were to happen today, and Antichrist were to show up tomorrow on the world scene, you would say, I knew that Pete Montoro didn't know what he was talking about. This has got to be Jesus. You'd believe him. They they make all those movies that say they didn't. Oh, I know the Bible. No. You think of the arrogance of people walking down the street today that don't believe in the Bible, that have rejected the truth. I'll tell you, they will except the Antichrist. The Bible says that all the peoples are going to be given to him. He is going to rule the world. We don't have time to go through all of the prophecies, but they have not received the love of the truth. That's verse 9. Do you know, if you really want truth, You have to search for it. Now, God has made it easy. He said, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. That's that's the context of that verse. And we have to understand that God's word is there, but... You know, if you have received a love for the truth, how many of you know your Bible better 
now than you did last year at this time. You've learned some more things about the Bible. Okay, well, now I know who's paying attention in church. Amen? No, uh, just teasing. Listen, that's, that's what our services are about, is about learning more from the Word of God. That's why you should come to church. I've often said this. It's hard for me as a preacher saying, you need to come to church and listen to me teach the Bible. Sounds a little arrogant, doesn't it? But you see, it's not that I am the greatest teacher. The emphasis is not on the teacher. The emphasis is on the material taught. Can we say amen to that? You see, if you do not receive a love for the truth, you're never going to seek it. The truth is hard sometimes, is it not? Uh, I remember the story of a man that got saved in our church. He was of Jewish heritage. And he said, I've got one problem, preacher. He said, I just, I got to tell you, if I believe what you're telling me, I have to admit that my mother, my father, my family, my grandparents for generations back have all missed heaven. And I said, that is not a simple thing to deal with, my friend. But you have to understand one thing. Are you going to let their unbelief determine your unbelief? Or are you going to be willing to put your faith and trust in the Jesus of the Bible? Praise the Lord, he got saved. Truth is not fun sometimes. It's not easy to accept. But I will tell you this, a love of the truth is not being excited that people who aren't saved are going to hell. That's, I don't know what you would call that. But loving the truth is holding on to it even though the rest of the world says it's not true. We're, we're going to hold on to what is true. We're, we're not going to change. Uh, one, one of the problems, um, I probably shouldn't tell you that story, but uh, one of the problems with young preachers, I'll, I'll put it this way, is that there is so much pressure by the world and by everyone around them saying, listen, you cannot be one of those old-fashioned doctrine kind of preachers. People need to be entertained and, and you need to make your sermons exciting and you need to reach out and, and meet people where they are. Well, you know what? I'll go back to my old... Overused illustration. If you're bobbing down the East River, trying to keep your head above the water drowning, the last thing you want is me to jump in and try to save you. You know why? Because then there'd be two of us drowning in the river. 
That, that would not be helpful. If I'm going to help you, I'm going to have my feet firmly planted on the shore and I'm going to throw you one of those little ringy things with a rope attached to it and, and try to pull you in. Actually, I'd probably do better dialing 911, right? Uh, and uh, on my cell phone. Uh, but if, if I'm going to help you, I've got to do it from the shore. You know what? If we're going to reach the world with the gospel, we're not going to do it by wading out into the slough of sin with the sinners. There are pastors who today have their Sunday services in bars that were used Saturday night to serve liquor and inebriate patrons and the liquor is still on the shelf there, and they'll move a little pulpit in there and pull the bar stools around and have a church service because they say people would feel more comfortable that way. Now, let me ask you a question. Now, please don't raise your hand, but I think I got this one underhand here. Those of you that used to go to those places, if you went back to one of those places to hold a church service, I think you would feel really uncomfortable. I, I think it would be really weird, wouldn't it? Because that's not why you go to a bar. You go to a bar to escape the truth. You go to a bar because you don't want to know what's really happening. Read the book of Proverbs. And so as we move on, they received not the love of the truth. They believed not the truth. And here in, in verse um, uh, uh, 12, it says, But they had pleasure in unrighteousness. You know, uh, I, I'm a young person. I've got to live. And once, once I've taken care of a few things... Uh, I'll, I'll get right with God. Uh, wrong. You can't do that. If you think you can wait on salvation, you are setting yourself up to believe in the Antichrist. We, we need to understand these things. And we start in verse 13. It says, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you. Brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through the sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Now, the Calvinists love this verse and they say, See? God chose you from the foundation of the world. Well, could we just explain this very simply? God knows the end from the beginning. He looks at time. How many of you have ever been to the cyclorama uh, at Gettysburg Battlefield? Uh, it is a painting that I can't remember how many feet long it is. It's well over 200 feet long. It's in a huge room and it goes all the way around and you 
can sit, uh, you can walk into that room and stand there, and if you will pay attention, they mark the starting point of the picture, and you can follow the action for all three days of the battle by looking around the picture. Uh, that is the closest you will come to understanding how God looks at all time. Because he's not inside time like we are. He can see the beginning, the end. He can stop it in the middle. He, he understands all of these things. And God knew those that would believe. He knew that these people in Thessalonica would be saved, that they would be sanctified uh, of the Spirit, and that they would believe the truth. Verse 14, Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. How did the people in Thessalonica get called to the gospel? Well, that's pretty simple. Paul went in and said, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That works out for a pretty good calling. How many of you received a gospel tract before you got saved? Somebody gave you a tract. Hey, there you go. Guess what? You just got called. Somebody witnessed to you. You, you got called to salvation, to the gospel. And in verse 15, he says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. He said, I want you to stand fast. And yes, the word traditions is used there in a biblical sense. There are biblical traditions that we should hold to. Uh, one of those is the singing of praises. How many of you remember when Jesus had uh, what is called the Last Supper with the Apostles. He instituted uh, what we now call the Lord's Supper with the, uh, the Passover bread and the uh, Passover wine, both of which are unleavened. And he said, this is going to show my death until I come back and take you again. And it says, and they sung a hymn and went out into the Mount of Olives. That's one of the reasons since... October 8th, 1992, almost every major service we have, except our prayer meeting, we end the prayer meeting in prayer, but every other service we have, we sing, take the name of Jesus with you. Because they sung a hymn. And I just like that idea. That's, that's our little tradition here. Uh, most churches don't do that. But I, I just like... I, I like to end the service the same way that the Lord did. And by the way, that's one of the reasons we're not giving up our Sunday night service. Amen? The first church services were Sunday night because Sunday was a work day for the Jewish people. Uh, Saturday was the day of rest for the Jewish people. It was their day off. Sunday was just like our Monday. It was the first day of the week. It was the day that they had to... Uh, get back into business and taking care of these things. And so the church could only meet on Sunday night. It wasn't until later, uh, as the world quote-unquote Christianized, that services could actually be held at a normal hour on Sunday morning and, 
you get to the turn of the last century in the late 1800s and and they've gotten so adamant about it that they passed blue laws in most of the uh, counties and states of the United States where you couldn't buy anything in a store on Sunday. All the stores were closed. And, and then they started opening up. Well, people have to have their medicine, so the drug stores were open, but the liquor department was closed. How many of you remember those? I, I remember that when I was a kid that... They would have the strap across the portion of the drugstore that sold alcohol or grocery store, whatever. You couldn't go in and buy it. That's not keeping the Sabbath, my friend. The Sabbath always was, always will be, only can be Saturday. How do we keep the Sabbath as New Testament Christians? By resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ for our salvation each and every day that we live. We do not work to earn our salvation. These are biblical traditions that we need to hold fast. By the way, the Thessalonians had all of the traditions that they needed. They were holding church services. They were singing hymns. They weren't singing the same ones we sing because of different languages and history. But they were studying the same Bible. In fact, Paul had written this letter, and as they got together, uh, they read this letter and, and went through it and studied it and came back and, and forth. And I want you to understand here, as Paul says, whether by word or our epistle, Paul does not diminish the preaching of the word because there are false prophets and preachers out there. Paul does not diminish the authority of the written Word of God, even though this church had received a, a false letter uh, supposedly written by Paul teaching false doctrine. We do not, we have to be very careful that we don't join uh, the reactionary crowd. Uh, when I was very young, the charismatic movement was beginning to really gain steam and, and move forward. And, and, and it was like they stole our joy because people in real Bible-believing circles were so afraid of being accused of being a charismatic that became very somber and very still, almost like the dead churches that they came from before they got saved. Paul says, listen, I'm not going to be reactionary. I'm not going to tell you not to trust the written word because the, the letter I am sending you is directed by God and it is included in our canon of Scripture and we are reading and studying it. In fact, uh, I'll tell you, we're spending a whole lot more time here on it than the Thessalonican church may have because they just understood so much better everything that Paul was speaking and uh, because they were living these problems. And so, verse 16, it says, Now our Lord Jesus Christ Himself, even God, and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work. Now, I will be the first to tell you 
that it is easy to get discouraged in our walk with and for the Lord Jesus Christ. It is so easy to get your mind off of Jesus Christ. Now, what Paul is saying here, he's saying, now our Lord Jesus Christ himself. I mean, how can you emphasize it any more than that? He said, this is from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and God, even our Father, which hath loved us. Now, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. I I want to challenge you, when you get discouraged, when you start thinking about all the wicked things going on in this world, Quote John 3.16 to yourself. Remind yourself. I mean, this is Christmas. That baby was not born in the manger so that we would have something to do Christmas Eve and uh, have uh, our uh, our nativity scene all set up and Mary and Joseph are there and all the wise men and then on Christmas Eve we put the baby in the manger. Uh, uh, That's... I think there's actually a living nativity set on Staten Island. They have a real baby there and people who stand out in the cold and and uh, uh, try to imitate this thing. That That is not why Jesus was born in Bethlehem's manger. He was born in Bethlehem's manger to give us a physical eyesight of how much God loves us. You know, I enjoy being around little children. And I enjoy babies. And they have, my family has taken some rather ridiculous pictures of me talking and trying to get the little ones to smile and all that. You know what? Because you lose yourself with the little children. Can you allow yourself to be lost to the world and the pressures and all of these things to the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen? That's what this is talking about here. Everlasting consolation. Then why am I discouraged? I don't know how many of you have ever done this. But if you wear uh, eyeglasses or corrective lenses, you're sitting there, where are my glasses? I can't find them. Now, you don't have to admit that you've done that. But I'll tell you, I have done that. And you know where my glasses are? Right here. Uh, I, I just forgot. I'm not looking through them and, and I'm busy thinking about other things. And then I look at them. Oh, I got them on. Yes, there we go. Uh, you know why? We, we have God's consolation. But we get so concerned with what's out there, we're looking over the top of it. We're not using it 
We're driving down the highway of life complaining how tired we are when there's a hot cup of coffee in the dash that we had momentarily forgotten about. Uh, We have the reservoir of God's eternal consolation. It is there. It is within your reach. It is something that God has not given us some little amount of and makes us beg Him for more. This is not. uh, It is there. It is something we have. And good hope. Now, how do we get this everlasting consolation and this good hope? What's those last two words there in in verse 16? What are they? Read them out loud. Everybody together. Here we go. Through grace. Oh, what's grace? That's God's unmerited favor, isn't it? That's what we don't deserve. How many of you have gotten, have run out of patience with another human being? We all have, haven't we? Aren't you glad that God does not treat us like we treat other, our fellow mankind? In fact, maybe that's what John, I shouldn't say maybe, that is what John was talking about in 1 John chapter 5. Hereby do we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. It is that grace that God has given us as we pay attention to it. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 119. He said, except my meditations had been in thy word, I would have been destroyed. If we will get ourselves in the grace of God, here's what it says, verse 17. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good Now, what's that next one there? It says, every good word. Why does it say that? Because you can't work without the word. You wouldn't know what to do. I mean, we could have some good guesses. How many of you have ever made a really good guess and you were just confident that you were doing things the right way, only to find out that you were confidently wrong. Well, God doesn't want us living like that, my friend. That There is no comfort or consolation in trying and failing until we find what works. What we're supposed to do is, if we're going to have comfort in our hearts, if we're going to have establishment or building... We're going to have to get the good word first. Then we can do the works. I I will tell you the best way to avoid a midlife crisis is to get busy serving the Lord Jesus Christ and then you won't have time. Amen? You see, your heart will be established in every good word. Now, I want to challenge you. I, I don't know how else to say this. 
I don't want a show of hands. I don't want anybody embarrassed any any way more than they need to be. But how many of you did this this year? All the way through. You know, I, I want to challenge our teens this year. If you want to go to youth conference... I want you to get your Bible reading schedule and put little X's over the passages you've read as you have read them. Because your heart won't be prepared for the preaching at youth conference if you haven't been in the Word. Christian, why are we so easily discouraged? Why are we so easily sidetracked? Why do we not feel like doing what we ought to do as Christians? How many of you have ever been there? I just don't want to do right. I just want to, I want to take a break. You know, you don't have to be a good Christian all the time, do you? Yes, you do. It's the answer. It is the solution to the problem. That's where your heart is going to be established. That's where you're going to be tapping into that everlasting comfort, that uh, consolation, and to have a good hope. You know, we, we have lived in, in a world of so many false hopes here of late. And there, there is nothing that will discourage the human soul faster than a false hope. You know what you need? You need a good hope. Where you get a good hope? In the everlasting consolation of Jesus Christ. How do you get that? Through grace. Through grace. Well, how do you get that grace applied to your life? Every word and every deed. Every word and work. Our King James translators alliterated it. Amen. They, they put it in order for us. You know what we're going to do? We're going to stop right there at the end of chapter 2. Amen. But let me ask you a question. Have you allowed the Word of God, the preaching of God's Word, to be diminished in your heart, in your soul? Let me tell you, if you have, you're falling prey to the things that the devil would use to discourage you. Paul did not diminish the preaching. He did not diminish the written Word. Even though uh, those things were being used and abused by people who were against God, against Jesus, against the Bible, he said, if you want to be established, if you want that everlasting consolation, you want that good hope, you get into the Word, you get into the work, and you won't have time for all the foolishness this world offers us. You know what they say? Oh, you just you just got to take a break. You know, you can really overstress yourself. Well, that is so true. You can overstress yourself. If you're serving Jesus with your own energy and your own effort, I promise you, you're going to run out of youth real fast. 
You're going to be weary and well-doing. Paul's going to address that in chapter 3. But if Jesus is the source of your life, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not frustrating God's grace. I'm living by it. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. And Lord, I pray that each one of us in this auditorium would be partakers of that everlasting consolation. That Lord, we would get into the Word. We would do the work. We would allow you to be that source of everlasting consolation. The good hope that always finds its expectations are far greater than anything hoped for. Lord, we could go on all night just talking about how much greater you are than anything we can hope or expect. Lord, our, our greatest need is to live it. Lord, not to believe the lies of this world. We do not need a break from Christianity. What we need is to tap into the everlasting consolation and the good hope of our Savior. Lord, let us take the charge that Paul gave to the Thessalonican church to our heart and let you do your work here. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, we'll let the piano play. If you need to slip out, the altar's open.